Welcome to the Hope Starts Here podcast, designed for open discussions where families, businesses, child educators, and more share stories on topics supporting the overall well-being of Detroit families on all sides of the spectrum. So come join the discussion. Join us at the table. Well, you brought up something um, that I also agree is very important is social emotional development and supports. And Wendy spoke earlier about having joint professional development opportunities. I know you work very closely with a number of early childhood educators. So put into this space for us what you're seeing as needs that early childhood educators have expressed to you when we're talking about preparing them to support the children for better outcomes. So working with various types of providers in various um, cultures, I really believe um, strong, you know, professional development for uh, bringing on culturally responsive and competent teachers. Working with a lot of the immigrant communities, English language learners, I was able to really bring on new educators that can speak the languages of some of those children. It's really important for the children to see. I really like the liaison in the school to be able to support and be able to help the child, you know, as they transition into the school. So just being able to really partner and really support the teachers that are coming in, new teachers, uh, experienced teachers that may not have been exposed to other cultures or just don't understand the, you know, the barriers that children or families, you know, may face coming into the program. If we can be supportive and sensitive to that, again, without any judgment, without any frustration, I know that the teachers have a lot of responsibilities. Um, We value and appreciate everything that teachers do, but taking a step back and really just seeing as she mentioned, just what are we working with? You know, having the more history that we can collect on these children would would really support us. Thank you. Thank you for that. Alejandra, I want to come to you and just delve a little bit deeper on this topic Mm -hmm. of multiculture and and really this dual literate Mm -hmm. child, right? So we have a child who speaks Spanish or Arabic or another language in this dominant language or culture environment, right? How is it this family wants to and needs to hold their own cultural literacy? That's important. You just share that for us, right? Yet they have to navigate this system. Mm-hmm. How could institutions like ours represented here today better support these families? Yeah, that's a great question. I think adding on to what Najwa just said is how do we support families to have literacy in their own language at home? I spoke with someone in my organization is talking about bilingualism and the importance of understanding and learning your first language, read it, talking, because then it's easier to learn a second language. And it's not only for for um, children that speak other than English. It could also be beneficial for those who speak English and want to learn a second language, can do it very, very early on. And I think it goes back to what April shared about the diversity and, and parents wanting their children to be in more diverse situations. And they could also learn a, diff- a, a new language and be bilingual, even if, if they speak English at home. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to have. And I think with the economy and everything um, that is is happening, I think it's a very great um, asset that our community has, and to be able to build on on that 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 would be amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So April and I sit on the pre to K twelve literacy commission together, and one of the previous commissioners brought up this conversation that has always has been intriguing for me to think about, and especially when I think about dialects that are shared in the African American. 
African-American community. But her, uh, she lived in Dearborn um, near the edge there. And so she had a really strong Arabic base. And what she shared is that there is academic English learners. Mm-hmm. And then there are English learners. Mm-hmm. Such a nuance, but huge, mm-hmm. right? So as we think about those differences and be considerate of them always, right? And I think it's, it allows for you to orient yourself differently, asset-based, as opposed to these children don't understand anything, right? As I say, Denise, I think yeah. as the child of parents who spoke two different languages mm-hmm. at home, and, and so I grew up speaking three officially. They used to talk about me in a fourth, so I learned the fourth <laughs> one as well. Um, and having run a school for immigrant and refugee students, mm-hmm. right? And I think something you just said is so key that it, it's it's about respecting and appreciating and making that okay mm-hmm. because when I went to school there was this feeling of like once you are in school you are speaking English yes, yes. and that's not that's not the way to get the best out of these kids and so especially when we think about young students that's a lesson we don't want them to learn right, right. so I think some of what we've talked about here not only is it capitalizing on the strength, but it's also making them feel comfortable and okay. Like, it's great when they can speak in their own language Mm -hmm. to somebody, especially when they're four years old, right? Mm -hmm. I remember seeing the kids four years old going for nap or circle time, and sometimes they just didn't have the word to express what they needed. But having someone there who understood it, you could see the comfort, and when that comfort came, then the learning came, and then, you know, then the support. And the same thing with the parents. Mm -hmm. It's hard to give your baby to someone. I mean, I, firsthand, you know, now that I'm doing this and, and I'm a mom, I wasn't a mom when I started my career, but as a mom now, I understand it's so hard. So when you recognize that there's someone there who appreciates and knows that, that makes you feel so much more comfortable. And you are in turn, I think, more able to give and get engaged. So it's such an important piece. And, and we have so many charters that, you know, charters being designed to meet a specific need when they're located in some some of the areas, the needs are defined by the yes. community. Mm-hmm. So it's it goes beyond just language. It's culture. It's acceptance. It's an mm-hmm. understanding. And I think it's, you know, that's something that if we can start that from day one of schooling, formal schooling, whether that's a kindergarten, first, second, or at age four, we can set our students and families up for success. Absolutely, Greece. So let's talk about, I, I'm going to come to you. I want to talk about authentic family engagement. See, I was coming there. Um, and Alejandra spoke earlier about being able to even share assignments and information in the family's native tongue, their language, their home language, and not make that be the responsibility of the student. So let's talk about what we need to do better to have authentic family engagement. Janine, you're up first. Okay. Kind of one of it piggybacks off of what everyone said. I supported three Arabic speaking schools and as for GSRP. So all students still had to take an Arabic class through 12th grade, but each class had an Arabic speaking class. They held the culture of the families very highly. It was, it was, I, I loved it. I learned so much being there supporting their schools. Going to your question, the parent engagement involved around that was very cultural based, you know, to be inviting. We all spoke Arabic. We're from different countries and we have different dialects, right? And so my village spoke this dialect. And so 
I learned so much from that. But there were times that where they would share their dishes from their culture, from their specific countries, and that brought the different communities and countries together that spoke Arabic, right? And so it made them feel at home because one, you speak the same language I speak, maybe not the exact same dialect, but just you can definitely still understand me and I can definitely still get my point across about my child or the concerns about my children. And then it brings the other cultures together, just joining them together as, as younger children because there were still some concerns about this country, this country, and whose country was better, but it brought understanding of that diversity. But the families were so involved in those parent nights and parent engagement. They were just so involved because they felt, they felt the comfort of being able to speak or have someone understand them. Making sure that you can connect with your families is just number one, regardless to, you know, what it is, being able to understand them, have that background mm-hmm. and connect, you know, what what is it? Not just my great ideas, because right, I have all the great ideas for parent night, right? <laughs> and no one shows up to parent night. I'm like, eh, this would have been great. But making sure you connect with that family to see what it is their needs are or what would bring them in. Yeah, those genuine connections are what's important and I think takes us beyond this, oh, we're going to have music from a certain country and we're going to put up posters from a country. Right. That is not cultural competence or proficiency, right? It is certainly not authentic parent engagement. So we were talking about uh, families and the makeup and supporting language and culture. I wonder if you can share with us just what you've seen in your community and how Arabic families need to be supported better or how they're navigating systems. Piggybacking off of what Janine shared with the different dialects and the Arabic communities, there's definitely an influx number of Arabic communities that are refugees. Just knowing there's a difference between the immigrants and the the refugees. For me, my family came as immigrants in 1977. I was 11 years old. Just the challenges that they faced. Now I had to kind of relearn my culture all over again with the large number of refugees that, that I'm working with. As you mentioned, also that there's English language learners, there's some that are highly educated, they're having to come here and start all over again. It's it's huge. I support Head Start Macomb County with home visiting program with the Judson Center on the home base with the early Head Start. When I look at just some of the, the, the challenges and maybe developmental delays that the children have, some of the women uh, are facing some of the PTSD. They're lonely. There, there, there needs to be a system of support for the mother as well as the child. There's just a lot of, you know, disparities in the community. Like you mentioned, the dialect. The dialect is important for us to know the differences and not assuming everybody is of the same country or whatever you've encountered or religion. It plays a big role. As a Christian Arab, like you mentioned, they were happy to see me as an Arab coming there in a predominantly Muslim community. You speak my language, you understand my culture. So they were all one after the other one and hungry for the information to get the CD training to be able to get a job in early childhood program and be able to change their financial situation. Um, you know, coming to a new country, starting all over, it's hard. I, I really appreciated that you, you know, appreciated that being in that community. And, and it's it's a large community, not only just in Dearborn. Some are in Detroit having to be on the borderline and just really being in the Southwest community as well and loving the work of some, you know, organizations 
that are really catering to that needs, not just being able to label or just think that, you know, they should just assimilate within. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really hard. I can't imagine. Um, I do remember just final thought. One child was when I had uh, my previous center who was a refugee during nap time, we turned the lights down and she, she hid under the table and I said, what's wrong? And she said, there's a bomb that's going to happen. Mm. Um, so that's so sad for yeah. a four year old yeah. and just really having that, you know, the trauma informed trainings and support and being able to support the children and families. Thank you so much for sharing that perspective. Thank really you. Thank you for it. allowing me to share that. Mm-hmm. And your support is Janine uh, with families. I'm wondering about this transiency and moving from place to place. How much does housing become a concern for families? And then anyone, how does that impact the students' learning? and how they need to be supported in your cl- in classrooms. Housing is huge. I think that's just a huge thing within our city, you know, as, as a whole. And trying to find adequate housing, affordable housing, the terms with slumlords, you know, housing that doesn't have, that's not adequate for the child to live in or suitable for their children to live in, but the parents are doing the best they can, right? Um, I know our agency, we, we do have a housing list that we do supply our families with. Some of my case managers for our scholarship program have assisted some families in filling out those applications because the illiteracy is a, is a concern with the families, you know, and so just trying to get what I was saying earlier, those wraparound services to help that family, what are the needs of your family because then I can dive in and say okay this is how, this is the importance of early childhood because right now as a as a mom or a parent I'm not concerned with that right now because of my housing situation or you know I can't really read as a as a parent and so you know what are those other services that that I can help you with and then let me tell you why your four-year-old needs to be in school, you know, right? Yeah, sure. that, those types yeah. of things. And so it's, it's very important that families are stable. Sure. You know, like I said before, families aren't growing up in neighborhoods with their families for 25 years. They're not staying in neighborhoods like that. But if we could just have a family somewhat stable in a neighborhood for four or five years and give that child some type of stability in that school and that's in the neighborhood or that charter school, however it works, I, th- I think that's great and important for that child to find childhood friends, the social, the emotional aspect of their learning. Yeah, obviously we're seeing more and more in our school environments where we have on-site medical or we have on-site Department of Health and Human Services to support families. What other supports are showing up in in your environments that are necessary to keep those parents focused to make sure the child arrives and is there every day and able to function to their best capacity? Yeah, I think one thing I'd uh, like to add around the housing is, you know, I think it's we've got to remember there are still a lot of protections in place that came in under COVID and institutions such as mine need to be prepared and ready for when those protections are lifted and by preparing and being thoughtful around that and ready to service and meet the needs of families and, and keep track of our kids and make sure that we keep them in school and get them into their next environment is going to be really important. You know, we've invested 
invested deeply in culture and climate in our schools, and so we have attendance agents at every building, and their their job is not to scare families into coming into the school. Their job is to reach out to families, help families realize the importance of the school, and get them connected with the right supports so the student can get to school. We also have deans of culture, which are focused on making school a place of joy, where students can come and they can feel excited about learning, excited about being with their friends, guidance counselors back in every school, and we are preparing for additional nursing and nurses staff in our building. So just wrap around services, really thinking about how in each school building we are meeting the needs of each and every child with a variety of honestly mostly human capital and professional learning. Sure. Thank you.